normally I used to always say, man, they pay me for Monday through Saturday. I'll do Sundays for free. Sundays is party time. Right. And uh, that, that kind of kind of switched on me and I just enjoyed the mentorship and, and, and helping the young guys and being around and this and that. It's like, all right, at the end of the day, they pay me to play football. And if I can't be the best version of myself and truly have that fire and grit I've had my whole career to just go out there and dominate on Sundays, it just wasn't as important to me anymore. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet. Our next guest is Lee Smith. Lee just announced his retirement after playing 11 years in the NFL for the Bills, Raiders, and Falcons. He was a former teammate of mine with the Bills and one of my favorite people to spend time with. You will love Lee's authenticity and will be given multiple takeaways to serve you in your life on finding mentors in your life, truly enjoying the moment, and making an impact on others. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to help spread the impact we hope to have. For all those new Spotify listeners out there, it's growing like crazy, those numbers on there. Thank you very much. Please rate it five stars. Also, if you share this on social media and tag me, I'll share as well, and we could double the impact. Hey, one last thing here. Make sure you stick around to the end of this episode because I have three Lee Smith stories that we didn't get to that will be worth your time to listen to. Enjoy. Lee, welcome to the show, brother. What's up, buddy? Hey, I've been looking forward to this. First off, I want to congratulate you on a phenomenal career. I remember the second you walked into the Bills locker room, I knew we would get along uh, just knowing the way you're wired. And playing with you is an absolute pleasure. You were an offensive lineman in a tight end's body and having you a part of that line. Whenever you were on the line, we had another good blocker down there. So I love playing with you. Cherish our friendship. Uh, so I've been looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, it was a no-brainer when you shot me a text and asked me to jump on. Uh, hell, I think I have an offensive lineman's body now at this point, two weeks after retirement. I don't, I'm scared to get on the scale. But uh, – but uh, old linemen are my buddies. You know that. You guys are my dudes. When when I open this gym, I'm, I'm opening, and, and life after football kicks off. A lot of the jerseys hanging on the wall in my place will will be uh, 60 and 70 numbers for sure. My <laughs> man. My man. Are you going to gain weight, lose weight? What's your plan uh, health and fitness-wise now that you're now you're not playing anymore? You know, I feel very blessed. You know, I, I see the Eric Woods and Eric Pierce and, you know, Joe Thomases and all these guys on TV, uh, all you handsome offensive linemen. Uh, and I was able to play at my natural body weight my whole career. I didn't have to, you know, beef up and, and gain 40 pounds. Uh, I, this, this is the way I walk around town, whether I'd have been a pro football player or not. So that's one thing I'm thankful for. My body didn't take just the wear and tear of 40, 50 extra pounds of juice on my body. So... Uh, my, my goal is to stay where I'm at and, uh, and be in shape. So, so these kiddos rolling in my gym don't look at me like, why would I listen to this guy? Look at his fat ass. So, exactly. Uh, and, and half of that is, is looking the part. And I know you want to be a positive role model for not only your kids, but all those that come into your gym. And we'll get into talking more about the gym and what you've got going now post-football. But part of it's looking the part. You can't look like you just ate a box of donuts roll into the gym and then expect guys to listen to you. So you'll, you'll have to keep some accountability there, but we'll get to all that. Let's start off the same way we do with all the podcast guests. Tell everybody where you're from and what kind of athlete were you growing up? I know you're a good football player, but what other sports you play as well? 
you know, I played baseball a little bit when I was younger, but I, I never really liked it. I didn't like standing there with, with somebody throwing a ball at me. I always liked to play the sports where I could actually defend myself. Uh, so I was a basketball and football player. Uh, here in East Tennessee, you know, I would consider myself a pretty good basketball player for this area, but I, I sure wasn't going to college for free, uh, you know, from my basketball skills. So my dad played in the NFL for, for a little while. He was kind of a journeyman that that uh, that, that didn't have the most luxurious NFL career. You know, poor guy was scared to get fired every day of his career, but he was just tough as nails and came in as a scab player back in 87, the same year I was born. So I've been a part of the NFL since the day I was born, I guess, and, you know, 34 years old here, kind of moving on. Obviously, it'll be a part of my life forever, but grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Me and my wife, Alicia, both we were high school sweethearts in Powell, Tennessee, little town just north of Knoxville. Um, and, yeah, so I was, I was a basketball and football player my entire high school life. Uh, basketball's probably always been my favorite sport to play, just to be honest. I just uh, saw the writing on the wall and, and kind of knew there was only – one option out there outside of uh, a master's degree that could give my family a pretty cool life. So football it was, and I love it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sure not going to go join a flag football league, but, but I'll, uh, I'll play a little church basketball here and there at this point. I could see you being a pretty aggressive on the basketball court. I, I, I don't even need to ask you how aggressive you are on a basketball court. Cause I, I, I just, I can already envision it and you're six foot five. I know you were crushing dudes out there and, and, what you said about your dad worried about getting fired every single day. What people don't realize is that's the reality of most NFL players. There's not many guys on a roster that don't walk in there on a Tuesday when they have all the trial guys in there thinking is tomorrow the day that one of these guys take my job. There's so many guys on a roster like that. And that's real. What you said about your dad. And I want to ask you growing up when your dad played a decade in the NFL, when you're growing up playing sports, was there added pressure? Cause I'm asking this, in regards to the thinking of my son, Garrett, like what are people going to think about him, say about him? How'd you handle that pressure growing up? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You know, my, my dad played six years from a little small community here. Like I said, Powell, Tennessee, me and my father are two of only three guys from my high school that, that played in the NFL. Wow. So, and the other one was my dad's best friend. So there was a 20 year gap until, until I walked on the NFL field, but it, you know, I got a 13 year old son soon to be 14 and a you know 10 year old little boy so um so it's it's when i said it's a double-edged sword it's like i got to kind of remember that feeling when i was little and and try to help these youngins of mine through it that it's not as easy as it might seem just because you have the genetics and you're bigger than most of your friends and you're a pretty good player here in our little small town uh north, north georgia football this year was was a lot of fun for my older for my kids got to see some real dudes uh not that knoxville's not flooded with with talent there's a lot of talented kiddos around here but north georgia football was was one of the best things that ever happened to my boys to see what other real dudes looked like i never got to see that until i walked on over on ut's campus you know as a as a freshman so i don't know i just always thought i would play in the nfl to be honest with you and you know my, my dad poured that confidence into me and always said listen if you don't screw it up you, you'll you'll play on sundays too but man, once I, like I said, once I walked on campus over at Tennessee and I saw what those grown ass men looked like, I'm like, whoa, dad, you know, <laughs> this ain't walking the park you told me it was going to be. So uh, I had to buckle down and then, you know, you know my story, obviously getting kicked out of Tennessee and being at Marshall and all that wild ride that I had to go through to get my stuff, get my act together. Uh, I realized very quickly that 
just because I had pretty good genetics and my dad played that it wasn't just going to be a show up and, and get to the NFL. So same thing I tell my boys, like, Hey man, just cause you're big and pretty and, uh, and everybody tells you that you're the, you know, going to be third generation NFL player. That ain't how it works. So you better be gritty. You better work or, uh, or you're going to, you're going to screw up a pretty cool opportunity. So that's kind of how my pops was with me too. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. And I got to see Brody recently up in Buffalo and, that is a man walking around. I, I wish I looked like him when I was 13, almost 14 years old. I mean, he looks the part, but you're right. It's work ethic. It's resiliency. It's persevering through tough times. It's getting dinged up and pushing through it. And and I know that you'll be pouring into him every step of the way. He's lucky to have a dad like you. And you mentioned, you know, you, you end up transferring from Tennessee, go up to Marshall. I love the fact that you brought – Alicia with you, you know, your high school sweetheart, and you guys are still doing it. You know, awesome relationship, um, a great model for guys in the locker room to see how you treat your wife and your kids. You always did a great job of inviting all those young guys over to the house, letting them see you interact with your family. And so now looking back, and you have you played for 11 years in the NFL, and you pour into those young guys so much. What's your top advice for these rookies that transition into the NFL? What would be your best advice for them? You know, me and Benjamin Watson talked about this on a, you know, COVID shut everything down a few years ago. So our offseason looked looked so weird. It was on the, on a computer screen in my office, which you remember the lockout year, which was my rookie year. That's the best offseason of your career, right? Right. That, 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 I was a rookie, so I didn't know any better. So I didn't really get to enjoy it. I was a draft pick, you know, working construction back in Tennessee, trying to support my family because I couldn't get my signing bonus until the owners, you know, let us back in. So, wow. At COVID year, as much as COVID was brutal and a horrible situation, it was it was my my taste of what you guys got during that lockout off season, getting paid to sit in my office and and uh, hang out on Zoom meetings. So uh, they had a bunch of guys kind of come in and talk to us. Charles Woodson came in and talked to us tight ends. Me and C Wood played together in Oakland, and then Benjamin Watson talked to us. And the two things that me and Ben said the most was, "Man, when you're younger." you have one bad play in the game you just wear it for six days until you get to the next Sunday. And it's kind of like I was talking about my dad. You're worried about getting fired every day of your life. You know, you need a little bit of that fear. Fear is the, you know, the biggest motivator in the world to, to not fail. But I, I wish I could have just sat back and, and enjoyed the moment a little more and, and really relished those earlier years. Because like you said, most most guys don't get to have that guaranteed money and that second and third contract that the Lord blessed me and you with so much. Guaranteed money is the biggest, the biggest safety net in pro sports, period. Right. Uh, and and when you have it, and, and I've had it for the majority of years here towards the back end of my career, it just allows you not to get comfortable because they'll run your butt out of here quick. And, and the minute that guaranteed money's up, that's all she wrote if you take your foot off the gas. So I'm not saying you can take your foot off the gas, as you know, but, man, it's nice when you know you have a little protection. And uh, and when you're a young player, you're, you're anything outside of a first-round draft pick, you just don't really have that the first four years until you can hit free agency, and that's only if you get there, which most guys don't. So enjoy the ride, man. Don't beat yourself up for that one bad play. Fix it, get better, and move on. But, uh, but enjoy the moments. Don't, don't harp on the negative and just follow the veteran players around. There's a reason that Ryan Fitzpatrick and Eric Wood and Eric Pierce and Fred Jackson and Scott Chandler, and I can go on and on of all the guys that poured into me when I was a young player. And I followed you guys around everywhere because I wanted what you had. I, I, I wanted my wife to have what your wife's had, and I wanted my family to have what your family's had. So 
don't beat yourself up over the one bad play. If you have 10 bad plays, you better get your shit together or else it's going to get ugly for you quickly. But the one bad play, you played 65 good ones and one bad one. Enjoy the 65 and follow the veteran players everywhere they go because they'll, they'll show you what it takes. Man, that, that is so good. So when people ask me what my, what my biggest regret is, do you have any regrets of, from your time in the NFL? And I always say, you know, I could look back at countless things that I wish I could have done differently, but in the moment it wasn't like I was purposely trying to sabotage myself or whatever it may be. But I always say my biggest regret is, especially for probably the first six years of my career, I was so worried about those one bad plays that I didn't even enjoy pro football. You know, I was just constant pressure on myself. Am I a bust because I've been hurt every single year I've been in the league? You know, the first four years I get hurt every year. Am I a bust? Are we ever going to make this playoff run? You know, and so I just truly didn't enjoy it. And then of all the guys that I've had on the podcast that truly respect, and I want them to answer that question about rookies transitioning in, the most common theme is find a veteran and learn from him. And I think that translates to any industry you're in, no matter what you're doing, whether you're just trying to be a rock star dad and husband, a ball player, a salesman, whatever it is, find someone that's done it and learn from them. And that'll speed up your process in life of being successful. You're, you're spot on right there. And all those guys that you referenced, especially early, the Benjamin Watsons, the Charles Woodsons, getting to see those guys in person and learn from guys like that. That's, that's one of the things that makes the NFL so special is the relationships and the people you get to learn from. And so that, that's just spectacular advice. What made you at this time, because you could have kept playing ball. I mean, even though you're hurting right now to the season, you feel banged up. You know you could have done it again. What made you want to hang up the cleats at this time? You know, man, it's, it's I'll never I'll never forget C. Wood out in Oakland. He kind of said, you know, as he was in your 18, his knee was hanging on, his shoulder was hanging on. He was getting interceptions every, you know, third or fourth game at, you know, 50 years old. And um, and it was always cool to play with C. Wood because as a Knoxville kid, you know, he won the Heisman over Peyton and everybody here hated him and, you know, that, so I always kind of knew who Charles was just being a Knoxville kid during the Peyton days. I was, what, 10, 11 years old. Um, so he said, man, if, if they would, if they canceled the game Sunday, I wouldn't care. And it was the first time in his career he felt that way. Wow. And that's who, like, it's over. Now, he went out there and played his ass off and led and was, uh, you know, a man amongst men, and he was awesome. But just that thought of, like, all right, it's it's kind of, it's, it's it's I just don't have that burning fire anymore. And you know, if I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, I think I probably would, would keep going. But just the age my kids are at, you know, my son, I didn't get to watch any of his football games this year, either one of my boys. I missed all my daughter's cheerleading. You know, weekends are pretty busy for pro football players, especially if you have sons and daughters that, that do the football thing. And um, and I was just out there pregame sometimes, E, and it's like, what am I doing here? Right. <laughs> and, and, and Monday through Saturday, I feel loved. I loved pouring into the Chris Lindstrom's of the world who's in his third year. And, you know, he's, he's, he's becoming a leader and he notices guys are looking to him and, and following him, but he just needs that little boost of, of whatever that, that maybe I've seen that the eight more years I've been doing it than he has. And, you know, being around the Jake Matthews who are true pros and getting to mentor Kyle Pitts and being there for Hayden Hurst because they drafted a kid fourth overall in his contract year. And just all the, they've been drafting tight ends, every team I've been on forever trying to replace my ass since the minute I got in the league. So I just, I enjoyed the Monday through Saturday more than I enjoyed Sunday. And wow. that was the exact opposite of my entire career. So that's how I knew 
all right, like normally I used to always say, man, they pay me for Monday through Saturday. I'll do Sundays for free. Sundays is party time. Right. And uh, that, that kind of kind of switched on me. And I just enjoyed the mentorship and, and, and helping the young guys and being around and this and that. And it's like, all right, at the end of the day, they pay me to play football. And if I can't be the best version of myself and truly have that fire and grit, I've had my whole career to just go out there and dominate on Sundays. It just wasn't as important to me anymore. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's when it's time to go, because if you don't have that fire in you, when you go out on game day, you'll get exposed and you never cheated the game for one second. You played through the whistle and I'll say through the whistle. Lee didn't play. When that whistle went, there was like about an extra two seconds of Lee Smith. Go back and watch some of his tape, because after every play, if the defense was complaining, if they were taking a shot at someone, it was because of something Lee did. Uh, but you're a tone setter and that's how you've always been. And so if you don't have that fire then then you're not going to be that same person and then you'd be cheating the game so you walk away at a great time you get to walk away with your head held high knowing that you didn't cheat it for one second I got to ask you one thing about Charles Woodson because I played with a guy that played with him in Green Bay and said he was the hardest practice player that anyone that he had ever been around and seen is that an accurate assessment yeah I mean you know I was with I don't know were you you were there when we drafted Steph weren't you Gilmore yep just, just the way – you remember the way Steph would practice. He refused to lose a single rep in practice. And there's a reason he's Defensive Player of the Year seven, eight years later. Right. And I got Charles when he was 36 years old now. So he, uh, he, he, he wasn't out there killing himself. But with the reps he did take, he showed you how to be a true pro. And, you know, I was young and dumb and, and running wild. And, and all of us, you know, when we were young players in Buffalo – so it was year five. It was a new setting, a new place. And it was like, all right, I'm putting all that wild kind of crazy hell raising behind me. And I'm going to really, really buy into this NFL thing, try to become a leader, try to be a man that these guys can look to. And we had a young team in Oakland, too, when I signed up there in free agency. So I just watched everything Charles did. And, yes, to answer your question, was he flying around like he was at 24 years old in practice? No. But when he was out there, the reps he took, the communication, the way he would lead our team, uh, you know, Justin Tuck was there. It was just a good group of dudes. And Charles was the cream of the crop, the gold standard veteran that uh, I'll never, ever, ever uh, be less than grateful for uh, being a teammate of his. Even though it was only for one year, he prolonged my career, no doubt about it. Yeah, those those guys are rare. And th that's why we talk about a guy who I didn't even play with because you make an impact around a group of guys. They talk about you. And that's when you become truly um, someone that's creating an impact on the field of the best alpha males at, at your sport in the world. There's guys like Charles Woodson that stand out in a lot of it's his work ethic. And just one more thing about a guy you mentioned is Kyle Pitts, the most, he's got to be the most athletic tight end you've ever seen, right? Yeah, he's, you know, here's what he is. He's Megatron. And based off of the way the, the league has changed, he can play tight end now. Right. And, you know, and Arthur protects him. You know, Arthur's the, the reason I the reason I was fired up and, and excited to go play one more year. And like I said, when I sat out there in pregame, sometimes I'm wondering, what am I doing here? You know, you, you played with me a long time. Like when I put my hand in the dirt, I wanted you to I wanted my opponent to be embarrassed to call his wife after the game or mm. embarrassed to call his mom. after. I wanted I wanted to steal his soul. And that's probably from a lot of demons and, and baggage I have from childhood or something. I don't know. I wanted to take it out on other people. But I just kind of lost that. I just wanted to make sure that my guy didn't hit Matt Ryan, didn't hit Cordero Patterson. Like, I wasn't trying to, like, mush him in the turf and grab his throat and all that stuff like I did when I was younger. It was just kind of like, all right, God, I hear you. 
I've lost that just dirt bag and, and just grit. So, um, so, so yeah, man, but I played for Arthur Smith and I wanted to play one more year for Arthur because of the man he is, the football mind he is, how consistent he is, the leader he is. So, uh, and it was close to home. You know, I, I just couldn't do the Buffalo thing anymore. Wood, I'm sorry. Six years, best memories of my life. It feels like home up there. Our family loves Buffalo, but, but it was time to get closer to home or shut it down. And Atlanta was just a blessing that it worked out. But the cherry on top was, was number eight, man. He's an avatar. And Arthur protects him. Arthur's not putting his hand in the dirt and running power behind him. Right. He, he's, he's, he's out there. He'll, he'll, he'll be on the edge in the running game some. He'll be backside some. Make sure that there's no tendencies when he's in the game. We'll, we'll even run the ball behind him sometimes. But it's not right up his butt crack dealing with Miles Garrett. Arthur won't do that. He, he allows him to, to play receiver while being a tight end and just go dominate dudes. And he is by far, by far, by far, by far, by far, the most talented guy I've been around. You know, just getting off the bus as a 21-year-old rookie. I mean, 1,000 yards in his rookie year. I mean, for crying out loud, the young man turned 21 years old during the season. I couldn't even drink a beer with the guy when the season started. Um, not legally, anyways. So right. so, um, so it was it was fun to play with him. And he's going to take over the league for a long time if the good Lord keeps him healthy. Because you just – it's like, like when Megatron was in Detroit. There's just nothing you can do with him. Yeah, and, and for someone that's still affiliated with the Bills, I'm I'm glad that he's in the NFC. And I got to meet him in person uh, when we went to dinner up in Buffalo, and he is truly a specimen. Um, and, and that's what good coaches do. Arthur Smith understands what his best attributes are, and then he utilizes them, and that's why he's over 1,000 yards in, in his rookie season. And so uh, that's cool to hear, and I, I can't wait to follow his career. Let's talk about something you're kind of transitioning into now. Tell me about this Triple F training facility. Yeah, man, you know what? I wrestled with the good Lord on it for a couple years. Uh, I didn't want to be the guy that hung Marshawn Lynch's jersey on the wall and said, come train with me and I'll get you to the NFL and, you know, bring your piggy bank while you're at it, you know? And I just, you know, I just kind of was back and forth and how do I mentor young people? Because that's truly what I get the most joy out of is using some of my demons and past and scars to, to help these young cats not do the same stupid shit I was doing at their age. So, um, it just, it just kept on me and on me and on me. And how do I do it? How do I do it the right way to where I make money for my family? You know, uh, if Eric Wood's son wants to come train at Triple F, I'm getting your pockets, E. I know how deep they are. <laughs> so, but but if if the kid with a single mom over in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that, you know, that's that has a future in athletics and athletics can change his life like it changed my life and Alicia's life and our kid's life, then – once again, I'm going to call E. Wood and get in his pockets for a little scholarship money for for uh, little Johnny over in Oak Ridge. So uh, I'm fired up about it, man. I, I want it to be elite. I want it to feel like the NFL every day. Every single person I called, from you to, to, the, to all the guys that kind of walked away from the game, just trying to prep myself for this transition because of how hard it was for my father and his demise and his alcoholism and just how bad everything got when he left the league. I'm trying to prepare myself the best I can. And from what I, from what I gathered is you miss the brotherhood and you miss the elite atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, nothing against the rest of the world, but, um, you know, walking into Merle Lynch every day, I don't care how much money you're making over at Merle Lynch. It ain't the atmosphere I'm used to. And, um, and it, we're, we're a bunch of grown men that still act like kids and playing ball for a living. And it's just a, a wild, wild deal. So, I wanted to try to keep as much consistency as I possibly could for myself so I could be the best husband and father for my family and give back to, to the community I grew up in, but have a 
you know, really badass environment that feels like pro sports. These kids only get to play ball for 10 years of their life. They don't get to play sports to their thirties like we did. Mm -hmm. So that 10 years of sports they get to play, I want to build their confidence and, and help them look prettier and, you know, have go ask the pretty girl out on a date and all that cool stuff and, and get to kind of be around great men. When I have a camp, I want Eric Wood to come down and pour into these men with me and uh, just hang out and, and love on these kiddos and male, female, and uh, just have a big old time. So it's going to be a, a really, really cool place. See, when, when we cut the ribbon and, and open the doors, you will be there. I promise you that is, as long as you're not uh, walking on the sidelines somewhere calling a game. Well, you know I'll be there for you, and, and I can't wait to check it out in person. I'm proud that you're giving back to the youth because when you transition out, you mentioned all those things that make it tough to transition out, and I got some great advice early on, and that was quit worrying about yourself and figure out how you can serve other people, and that's kind of how this podcast came about. How can I serve others through the platform that God has given me, or you're using the platform that God has given you through athletics, through the wealth that you're able to build through playing football for so long to make an impact on so many lives out there. So uh, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. I think that'll be a great way for you to fill your schedule. And it's not, it's not about just being busy, but guys that are wired like us, we're better busy than bored. And so that'll be a great way for you to kind of channel that energy, be great for your your boys and your girls to all be in there as well. And, and recently, I, I suggest everyone go out and check out Atlanta, put it through their social media. I saw it on your social media as well. You did a video where you opened up and got really vulnerable. Uh, I didn't know you had it in you to be that vulnerable in front of a camera talking about the gym and um, your father's alcoholism. I'm a son of an alcoholic dad as well. And so throughout that video, you talked about how you kind of had to make a switch with your drinking. At what point did you flip that switch? Because you know, I think even just you being vulnerable and honest about that, it might be other NFL players that hear that and see it and make a switch, or it might just be, you know, the, the casual fan that maybe has gone down a bad path with their drinking. What, what was that switch point for you? So uh, I got out to Oakland. Uh, like I said, I was, I was, and you knew me as a young player. <laughs> uh, you, you know how, how I would act on a, on a Friday night in the off season from time to time, you know, liquor and, and alcohol would grab a hold of me and turn me into something I wasn't. And I'm just like, it, it gave me an awareness of like, all right, my dad struggled and, and I hated him and I lost respect for him. And I thought he was weak. And I thought all these things. And it's like, man, that's the farthest from the truth. He, he became, you know, a, a complete morphed into individual that wasn't really him because the, the liquor just does all kinds of weird stuff to your brain, man. And it's just a brutal, brutal thing to watch. So when I got out to Oakland, you know, and I'll still have a glass of wine with dinner. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, but I, I got out there and I, I was, like I said, going into year five, I, I was able to watch the Charles Woodson's and Justin Tucks and really kind of not change who I was, but, but kind of just, I, if I had a dollar for every one of my teammates that says, man, I just want one night with the old Lee Smith. And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> so, so I'm sure you do because you've heard stories, but it ain't happening. So, um, so anyways, I, our, our head trainer out there, his name was Rod Martin. He'd been there forever. We sat down in his office one day, and obviously I lost my father before I got to the NFL, and I've always tried to gravitate towards men that have lived more life than me and just lean on them and, and ask questions and just let them mentor me uh, and try to take bits and pieces from all the good men I've been around over the years. And he told me, he said, listen, boss, he's like, I don't care what you do. You know, we're all we're all males. God made women smarter than us. We we, we are designed to, to do the wrong thing half the time for whatever reason. We got to fight it, he said. But 
don't you ever embarrass your kids. And, oh, my goodness, it was just like someone sucker punched me. And I just thought to myself, like, ain't that the truth? Like, at the end of the day, these kids didn't choose me, you know, to be their crazy-ass dad. They got stuck with me. So I wanted to, at all costs, I'm, I'm imperfect. I'm a very sinful man. Uh, I'm not saying that, that I don't embarrass them on a daily basis. But that just kind of struck a nerve with me of, like, all right, uh, and listen, my, my wife will be like, well, I remember a couple nights in Oakland, you know, and I'm like, I know, damn it. I get it. I'm not perfect, but, um, but I'll never forget that. And I tried to start living my life that way from the moment I got to Oakland until sitting here today, talking to you, um, and just don't embarrass your kids, man. Do not embarrass your kids. And, and that's kind of the way I try to live my life is all right. Would, you know, my, my kids be proud of, of what I'm doing right now. And, and typically that, that steers me in the right direction that's that's great advice there don't embarrass don't embarrass your family will wolford told me that when i got in the nfl he said you know you can have fun do your thing but never embarrass your family and so you know you god puts people in our lives at certain times to give us appropriate advice that trainer in oakland was put in your life to give you that wisdom at that moment and i'm glad that you ran with it and it brother it ain't about being perfect in life it's about constantly growing and i've seen you grow throughout the years and you said you know it wasn't like i changed who i was completely but it's about those one percent improvements year after year and look if if someone fast or rewinded 10 years and you were the exact same person then you're not growing. You know, everyone makes, you know, especially when you play pro sports, like, oh, Lee changed. Lee's different. Of course he changed. He should change. He's a, he's a, he's a Christian man, a father, and he's all about getting better in life. And so uh, I'm proud of you, man. And, and I've seen that change. And we, we've had a glass of wine. We've been down at Lake Norris having a beer together, but it's different because it's not 20 anymore with you. And, and so I'm proud of you. And I'll never forget when we were down at Lake Norris and you had that boy that you took into your household and I said, Lee, you want another beer? And you said, no, because I, I don't, he comes from a really bad household and I don't want him, I don't want to model that for him. And I was like, man, that that's strong. That's really strong. So I want to honor you in that way. All right, we got a few recurring questions that I'll get you out of here. Number one, do you have a favorite book? Kingdom Man by, by Tony Evans. Excellent. I know you're a man of faith. You wear it on your sleeve, but what role does your faith play in your life? You know, I, I want to be that. I hope this doesn't doesn't come across the wrong way, but you know, the one my favorite thing to study, not really study, my favorite thing to learn about with, with Lynn up in Buffalo over the past couple of years was one year we just studied Jesus's life from the minute he started his ministry to the minute he hung on that cross. And the one thing I noticed was, you know, with his twelve disciples, he chose a few renegades. Right. <laughs> And I'm like, man, all right, Simon Peter, I feel you, big dog. I, I got to have a beer with this guy, you know, and uh, I just try to be genuine. E, and I know that, you know, you might affect one kid, you know, Derek Carr, who's the strongest Christian man I've ever played with, might affect another kid. But whatever kids or men or women or whoever gravitate towards Lee Smith, I want it to be the genuine Re Lee Smith that God made. He he gave me my life experiences. You know, he, he put he allowed me to kind of carry these demons and these scars so that I could help people. So when it comes to my faith life, man, I try to grow every single day, but I don't ever want to act like I'm somebody I'm not and kind of be holier than now because that's that's just not me. And, you know, I'll 
I'll, I'll drop an F bomb and, and then I'll pray over, pray over my kids. And it's like, Oh man, what's wrong with me? But <laughs> you know, there's, there's people out there that, uh, that, that hopefully can, can gravitate towards me and, and times of struggle and pain and, and my craziness and, and all these things that, that God kind of put on me and put in my life. Uh, I just, I just want to be better. And like I said, I'm not making excuses for my horrible language or, or, or my sinful ways by any stretch. I got to grow and grow, but, but I'm sure going to be me and not try to be somebody I'm not because I've learned as I've gotten older that, you know, if I try to be Derek Carr, that's an unwinnable battle. And I'm going to have a different group of people that, that might be looking to me or, or, or kind of leaning on me than, than what Derek will have. And to truly, truly change the world. Like I said, those, those 12 disciples, it seems to me like Jesus picked guys he would go into a bar fight with, you know? So, uh, so it's pretty cool stuff. I just try to be a guy that people can count on that way. You know, I'm genuine, try to be as real as I possibly can. Cause I know that if, if you're not consistent and genuine, you can't really lead anybody. There's gold in there. That last thing you said that that's when, when people ask me why I thought Sean McDermott was the best coach I ever played for. I said, it's his consistency because when you're consistent, guys will follow you. But when you get up in the front of a room one day and you want to be a player's coach and the next day you're going to come in and dog cuss us, you're going to lose the locker room quick. And that's for all leaders out there. Just be yourself. And the more authentic you are, the more people are going to follow you. And, and, I, I like Lee Smith as a renegade for Christ. Go out and recruit men to the kingdom in, in your way. And, I, dude, I had this same exact thing. When, when I first got baptized, I was 26 years old, and everyone's like, well, you still drink beer. You still do this. I saw you at a concert last week. I said, I'm just trying to live an integrated lifestyle. I love Jesus. I like having fun. I love to have fellowship. And you know what? I've invited more guys to my men's group at church over a beer than I have an 8 a.m. coffee. And I always joke with the guys at Southeast Christian here in town, I can recruit a different type of guy than you do because you guys are on staff and you, they can't drink at all, especially not in public. I can. I'll go get those people for you because you can't reach them. So you just keep being you. All right, next one. What was your first car? Oh, Lord. It was a, uh, a old Ford F-250 that my dad had had when he kind of – worked and ran a construction company uh like i told my story that's what he tried to do when he got done playing obviously led to bankruptcy and and all that you know wild fun stuff but it was just his old hand-me-down truck that he still had from uh his construction company collapse so um i beat that thing all to hell it was awful it, it was it by no means was in perfect shape when i got it but lord have mercy it got worse quick <laughs> that's awesome i don't doubt it what's your favorite restaurant mulberry Yep, I knew it. What's your favorite wing spot in Buffalo? Man, I'm telling you, and I know I'm always Mulberry, 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 but you know those Ewood or uh, was it Trey White wings? The, 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 it's not Ewood wings, is it? They you were the Ewood wings. They were the yeah. Ewood wings, and now they're Trey White wings, which I would do the same. Get get a big name like Trey White on the menu. Take me off it. But when he did his other spots, Sonny Reds, those are still called the Ewood wings over there. Yeah, and but if I if I if, Obviously, Joe's my guy, and if I'm having a final meal before I go to the electric chair, I'm having Joe come cook for me. But um, but but just pure wing spot, I'm a barbell guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. And and Joe does cook phenomenal wings. And he didn't even have wings on the menu until one time he asked me, what are your favorite 
meals in, in Buffalo. So I told him a few different things. He cooks them all, and he did wings. Well, I told people about them, so they started going down there and ordering them. And people would say, well, they're not, you know, the waitress would say, well, they're not on the menu. And then finally Joe had to put them on the menu because so many guys were going down there requesting the wings because when he did make them the one time, they were so good. All right, last one for me. This is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Lee Smith? We heard about the gym. What else is coming down the pipeline for you? You know what, man? Uh, I'm going to have to dive into this gym, uh, and it's going to take take a lot of me. It's funny. I'm going to put my girl Jill Williams on blast here. We were we were down in Louisiana seeing her and Kyle a couple years ago, and you know, once again they were mentoring us. Kyle was one of the ones that raised me. We were just kind of chatting, and Jill was like. My goodness, man, like I thought when he retired that we were going to like go to the Caribbean and lay by the pool and just kind of hang out. And I was going to get my husband back. And he became the defensive coordinator at his high school. And he was gone more than he was when he was playing. And my my wife kind of looked at me like, is that what's going to happen with you? And I'm like, yes, like I'm not just going to lay around the house with you. There's no way I, I will be a horrible father and husband if I do that. Like I have to have purpose and structure and I have to be attacking something and accomplishing something every day of my life. That's just the way I'm wired. So this gym is obviously the big one for me right now. We just got to get the place built. Uh, the, this six months, I'm going to take a lot of time to, to make sure, you know, my family, you know, you don't, it's hard to go to church every Sunday when you play pro football. Uh, so get back on our church schedule, get these kids back integrated in school here to where they can kind of adapt to new full-time life in Tennessee. We haven't spent a Christmas or a Thanksgiving at home since we got married. So, uh, so just getting integrated back here to full-time Tennessee life and, uh, and getting this gym launched. But, uh, but I, like I said, I gotta be boots on the ground early in the morning, early bird gets the worm and, uh, and, and, and attack the day. So the gym and my family and, and just kind of uh, trying to trying to make sure I adjust the best I can, so my wife and kids don't pay the price for this adjustment, like a lot of you know our colleagues and their families as as they struggle in the transition. So I'm going to try to lean on all the guys I respect. It won't be the last time I talk to you, uh, and uh, and I'm excited about it. I really am, buddy. No doubt about it. I can't wait to watch it all unfold as well. And you have a foundation outside of football grounded in your faith, but also with your family, your buddies, all the support, this gym. There's no doubt in my mind that you're going to transition. I say seamlessly. There's going to be things you miss, and you'll always, you know, miss the camaraderie of a locker room and all that. But you're going to you're going to transition just fine. But I said it was the last one. I just want to ask one more just because this is an unfamiliar topic for most listening. But, you know, you mentioned your kids are going to finally go to school for the first time in so long for a full year in the same spot. Are, are they excited about that? And how, how have they always done transitioning back and forth, going to two different schools? Yeah, it's all they know. So, obviously, Brody's 13. He's my oldest. And then Amanda's 11, Brock's 10, and Addison's 8. So, it's 8th grade, 6th grade, 4th grade, and 3rd grade. And that's all they know. So, uh, the transition has been easy because, you know, for the fourth time in this sentence, that's all they know, right? So, now – I always knew that I married my high school sweetheart. I was going to live in Tennessee the rest of my life. That's why I was so, it was so cool that I got to go to California and New York for the majority of my career until this year. My kids are so much more worldly than a little East Tennessee boy like me was. Uh, I was around East Tennesseans from the minute my long-term memory developed at six years old or whenever my dad retired and got out of the league until the day I went to college and, you know, got kicked out of Tennessee and I ended up in West Virginia. Right. Right. So until I was 23 years old, I was in, you know, pretty much the same 
you know, kind of economic situation. Most of the people I was around kind of had the same skin color and, and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden my kids have just been around the world. They understand that America is a really cool, diverse, big, awesome place with people that think different, look different, believe different. And don't get me wrong. We're, we're Southern Christian folks and, and our, our family, you know, we're, we're still Tennesseans at heart and, and love Jesus and, and, and kind of our moral and value code is, is what it is, but it's just been super cool for my kids to, to get to really experience just what a cool place America is outside of the little, you know, five mile circle I grew up in. So, um, yeah, man, to answer your question, they're excited. Uh, they're fired up that they love Tennessee. Once again, I always knew this was going to be home. So the minute the season was over, I kept them here. I made sure the friend group was here. Our, our, our main home was here. I always made sure I rented something that was kind of smaller and less homey in the places we were playing so that they would always want to go back home. So that one of these days when I finally said, all right, guys, this is it, which they made the decision for me pretty much. They, they were kind of tired of me saying maybe one more, maybe one more. They Five people put their foot down on Well, actually, Addison, my baby, she was kind of like, you know, she's experienced the least of it. Right. She, she's, she's been around the NFL the least. She's finally getting to kind of understand what it really is. And she's like, Dad, this is this is bull crap. You're you're leaving right when I'm starting to really get to enjoy it and feel cool walking in school. My daddy plays pro football, and now you're just gonna yank it out from underneath me. This is this ain't right. Everybody else, Brody got to do it for 13 years. So, um, anyways, besides her, the rest of them are kind of like, Dad, it's, let, let's let's go home. So it's been really really cool. Uh, they got their friends here. They got their basketball, baseball, football. You know, horse their horses are here. Like the whole deal. This is home. So they're they're excited. Good deal. Well, enjoy home, brother. Enjoy it. And thank you so much for your time. Give Lee a follow on social media. He's excellent on there. I expect you to get a little bit more active on social media now that you have more time and you got to promote this gym. Uh, keep in mind, the, fil- the you got to keep your filter on on social media because anything you put out there will live on forever. But uh, keep the filter on. But get a little bit more active. Pe- peel back the covers a little bit more on Lee Smith because everybody's going to be impacted positively uh, by, by anything you put out there. Thanks again for your time. I love you, man. This was a pleasure. I love you, bro. I'll uh, I'll see you on the lake or see you at the Derby. I'll see you soon. Give your crew my love. Yes, sir. Likewise, bro. Are you looking to save time in your busy schedule but still want to dress like a million bucks? Let Jordan Yoakum with Tom James Company save you time. He can work virtually with anyone in the country and he can provide you clothes that will fit perfectly and give you confidence when you walk into any room. Jordan does everything from dress clothes to casual clothes. Also, wedding season is about to be upon us and Jordan can provide you and your wedding party with clothing that will turn everyone's head. Contact Jordan at Kentucky Clothier on Instagram and let him know that you heard about him on the podcast and he will provide you with a free custom dress shirt when you order your first suit or sport coat. As Deion Sanders said, you look good, you feel good, you play good. Let Jordan take care of that for you. Again, that's Kentucky Clothier on Instagram. First off, I hope you enjoyed Lee on the podcast. He's one of the best dudes I know, and I'm so proud of how he's grown over the last decade. He's a true testament to getting 1% better daily and seeing the fruit of that over a long period of time. I'm so proud of him, and like I said many times throughout the podcast, I can't, dis- I can't wait to see what's next for him. I got to tell 
three quick stories about Lee Smith to kind of pull back the curtain on our time together. And we didn't get to these on the podcast. I wanted to be sensitive of his time at this busy time for him right after the season ended. So I'll tell those stories now. Okay, so one week we are working out. It's during the springtime, and we're waiting to go home that afternoon. And because we work during OTAs Monday through Thursday, and on Thursday afternoons we could get out of town. Well, me and Lee decided, well, we're going to lift at like 5:30 that morning, and that way after meetings we could shoot right back out of town, go home to our families. And so me and Lee are doing dumbbell shrugs for those out there that may not know what those are. Watch an Ed Milet Instagram story, and you might see him on there. But you hold two dumbbells and you're essentially shrugging those up trying to touch your shoulders to your ears and it builds those trap muscles in between your shoulders and your neck and it can strengthen your neck uh, make you more resilient on a football field to contact to the head well me and Lee were setting those dumbbells on a weight bench in between us as we went well as I set them down a 125 pound dumbbell rolled off broke Lee's foot Well, Lee didn't realize his foot was broken, so he starts taking off running out of the weight room. He's yelling and screaming. We're the only two in there beside the strength coaches. Run straight into the training room, and instead of Lee being able to go home all summer long, he had to stay in Buffalo and rehab that foot to get ready for training camp. When I tell you I felt awful, and he could have held that over my head for the rest of our lives, and I wouldn't have blamed him. If I didn't get to go home in the summertime and get to spend some time with family and friends before training camp, I'd have been miserable. But instead, Lee had to stay up there and rehab. And I I promise, I was texting him constantly to try and console him. Next one. So this year, the Falcons play in Buffalo. And so Lee's coming back to town. Well, he mentored Dawson Knox, the Bills tight end, who was a pro ball alternate, led the NFL on tight ends. That's a Lee Smith disciple. Lee mentored Dawson Knox his rookie year in the NFL and his second year. And so one of Lee's other teammates from Oakland, John Feliciano, also wanted Lee's jersey for that player swap after the game. So Lee chose to give Dawson Knox his jersey, and for John Feliciano, he signed over his jock strap. That's just classic Lee Smith. Good, clean fun. I absolutely love it. I'm sure John got a jersey as well, but he got the jock strap signed. And then this is just a testament to who Lee is as a person because I don't think this has ever happened in NFL history the night before a game. So late in the season, it's week 17, the the Falcons are at the Bills. And we get together the night before. Lee mentioned on the podcast his favorite restaurants, Mulberry. Joe Yergi, phenomenal chef over there. So we all go over there for dinner, and I'm going to meet Lee. And I don't know who all is going to be there. Well, there was a huge mix of Bills and Falcons players there, all there to see Lee Smith. But who shows up? Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, the GM for the Falcons, starting quarterbacks. It was truly unbelievable. And I told Lee that night, man, that was good for my soul to just be around all those football guys again, be able to share some stories and, you know, obviously no drinking the night before the game. Good, clean fun, have an awesome meal. But it was truly remarkable. I told Lee, this has never happened in history. Not not head coaches and GMs, starting quarterbacks, Kyle Pitts, the best athlete in the NFL at tight end. Just so many uh, great stories and memories shared that night and what a testament that is for him. So I wanted to share those stories. I didn't want to bog down our time on the podcast with those stories because I could have told him from my point of view and I didn't necessarily need his commentary. And and really, I didn't want him to uh, go off on me. Maybe I would have killed the mood if I would have reminded him of 
when I broke his foot with that dumbbell rolling off the bench. And maybe it was his fault. Maybe Lee doesn't get to the end of this podcast himself and be able to defend himself. But thank you for tuning in, as always, to What's Next with Eric Wood. It means the world to me as... As, as we watch the numbers every week, if we're not the fastest growing podcast in the country, we're one of them. So I can't thank you all enough for that. Have an awesome week.